everyone, and welcome to Stand to Reason. I'm your host for today, Robbie Lashua. I'm filling in for Greg, uh, and this episode, we have a really amazing guest with us, my friend Eric Johnson. Um, he has been—I've known Eric for years now. We have done mission trips uh, together. We have done conferences together. Uh, I've gleaned a lot of info from the books he's written and the articles and his uh, radio show and so many things I could say about— about Eric, but we are here today to talk about his new book, Introducing Christianity to Mormons. Uh, you got to pick this book up. If you have Mormon friends and family and you want to talk to them about the real Jesus, this is the book to get. Again, it's Introducing Christianity to Mormons by Eric Johnson. It's available every single place in the world. Books are sold. Uh, you can get it on Amazon wherever you want. But Eric, thank you so much for being with us today. Thanks, Robbie, for having me on. Yeah, absolutely. So let's let's introduce you a little bit. I, I'm, I've known you for forever, and we've, we've talked a ton and done a lot. But let's introduce you to our listeners a little bit. So you work with Bill McKeever at Mormonism Research Ministry, which is based in Salt Lake City. So tell us a little bit about uh, this ministry, what you guys do, and where people could plug into your ministry. Yeah, Bill McKeever founded this ministry back in 1979. Uh, so it's been going for quite a time. I have been involved with it since 1989. We have a website, mrm.org. Uh, the website for the book that you just mentioned, introducingchristianity.com, takes you to the website, but on a special page for the book. Uh, so we do a lot of things with the webpage. Uh, we've had that since 1995. That's why we have a three-letter URL, mrm.org. <laughs> Uh, we uh, do podcasts ourselves five days a week. We're on five different radio stations, and then it's a podcast. It's only 15 minutes a day, but it, it's uh, something that a lot of people will listen to. We've had a lot of success over the last 10 years. We have over 3,000 shows archived there. Wow. Uh, I, I do a lot of writing, not only for the website, but with books. And so over the last 10 years, uh, Bill and I have come up with um, – uh, Mormonism 101, uh, Answering Mormons' Questions, uh, Mormonism 101 for Teens. I wrote that one in uh, 2016. 2018, Sean McDowell and I uh, co-edited a book called Sharing the Good News with Mormons that came out with Harvest House, and now this book here. So th we do that, but our twofold objective, number one, is we uh, want to share our faith with Latter-day Saints. We live here in the heart of Utah, so it's a great place to be a missionary to Latter-day Saints, even though Bill nor I have ever been LDS, uh, mm. we have adopted them as our people. We, we have deep compassion for people who are, are Latter-day Saints or who have left the church. And then secondarily, we, we do speak in Christian churches and, uh, and try to get the word out as to what Mormonism, not only what it really does teach and get rid of some of the straw man arguments that some uh, Christians might have, but also that we can share how to effectively share our faith. And so we have a variety of ways that we do that using uh, PowerPoints and presentations. Well, one of the things, too, that I appreciate about you, you you're not only discipling the church to effectively reach Mormons. You do that an amazing way. But you and Bill, I mean, I've, I've talked with you, you know, off camera and, and off stage, and, and you really do have a heart for the LDS people. And what I'm really impressed with that you both do is you regularly go out to share your faith with them. It's not you're just riding in your ivory tower. You guys go out to the streets. You go out to Temple Square, and you really— uh, proactively share your faith in a lot of creative ways. Would you tell us a little bit like about what you do at Christmas? 
Oh, at Christmas, uh, my friend and I dress up in costumes. I'm Buddy the Elf, and I take on the persona of Buddy. Uh, I've been doing that since 2010. And Santa Claus is my friend. Uh, actually, it's the second Santa Claus. The first Santa Claus moved away. But we go down to Temple Square, and we take pictures with people out in front of Temple Square where people come for the lights. It's a big mm. tourist attraction. And uh, we'll hand out uh, million-dollar bills with our pictures on it. In fact, you can go to the website, buddyandsanta.com, and see that the bill and see some of the things we do. We actually collect tips, and we use all those all the monies from that for uh, the rescue mission, the Salt Lake Rescue Mission, as well as we adopt some families. But we have a lot of fun doing that, and every season we pass out thousands and thousands of bills because everybody wants those. And it's what I call a positive evangelism. We're not necessarily speaking about uh, the good news necessarily, but it's in our bill. And then just loving people and just t having mm -hmm. fun with them and uh, talking about the four food groups or the three codes of the elves or knowing the lines. I know all the lines from the movie from all these years of doing <laughs> that, watching Elf a hundred times. So, yeah, we, so it's a creative way of doing evangelism. And there are many creative ways like that. You just have to try it out. And we tried it out in 2010 and we couldn't believe how well it did work. That's amazing. Well, in addition to that, you also go to uh, temple open houses across the country and evangelize to people at those. Oh, yeah. I mean, uh, uh, the current president of the church, top leader, Russell M. Nelson, just announced his 100th temple, new temple, since 2018 when he took over. Imagine 100 temples when they only have 172 right now. So they are on a building binge uh, they're building them here in Utah. They're building them all over the world. And so what I have gone to probably over 25 of these temple open houses that they have before they open it up, where they open it up for the public to see what's inside. They don't usually have a guided tour. You have to just go through silently and they're not telling you everything that goes on in there. We like to uh, be outside on public property, talking to as many people as we can. We knock on doors in the neighborhoods, passing out newspapers. We have a, um, a four-page newspaper that we use. But we find that to be really important because a lot of people just assume that Mormonism is Christianity. And so when this church comes in with a brand new temple, people come and we find that many of them consider joining because they're maybe nominal Christians or Catholics, or maybe they're nothing at all. They've they have kids and, hey, this is a great family atmosphere. They have programs. They take care of their own. And we want them to know that there is a God and there is a Jesus. But unfortunately, the version that is taught in Mormonism is not the same as what biblical Christianity teaches. Yeah. Well, and I appreciate that you, go, I mean, you fly over the, all over the country to do yeah. that because you want to help people know the truth. But that's also a great segue, what you just said, into your book. So a lot of people are confused of, you know, is Mormonism just another denomination of Christianity? And honestly, Mormons often will get offended if we don't say that they're Christian like we are. So what would you say? I mean, because it's, it's right on your book, right? Introducing Christianity yep. to Mormons. This yeah. <laughs> has got to be somewhat provocative to a member of the LDS church. So so what would you say to someone who'd say, you know, this might be mean-spirited for, for you not to consider Mormons Christians? I think you're right on that. And just the idea of introducing Christianity. Well, what do you mean introducing Christianity when we're already Christians, a Latter-day Saint might say. And then two Mormons, uh, 2018, Nelson, President Nelson said that Jesus is offended when we use the word Mormon, LDS, 
uh, Mormonism. And so he demanded that everybody stop using those terms and instead refer to the church as the Church of Jesus Christ or by its whole name, the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. But imagine, Robbie, if I were to write this book and call it Introducing Christianity to Members of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. It's too unwieldy. It wouldn't work. Uh, Mormon? It'd be a it, long website. It right? would be. And and they changed their website. Yeah. They took out LDS.org and Mormon.org. Now they're using introdu- um, they're, they're using uh, Church of Jesus Christ. Dot org. Uh, I think they've lost their brand. I, that's a great branding. Hmm. You're too young to remember in the 1980s when Coca-Cola, uh, and I think it was 1983, decided that they were going to um, change their formula of Coke. And they did. Okay. Oh, kinds of protests. You can look this up. I, I actually studied advertising and marketing in, at San Diego State University. And so that was a test case right there that was live for us when I was going to school of oh, wow. how they butchered the, the marketing of this. And, the, and then finally, they had to come out with a, another product called New Coke. Because and so they had the the original. Uh, well, it was the original Coke, and so they the other one was called New Coke. Well, eventually the New Coke went away, and they left it with original Coke. Now you don't hear about it because they took that away. It was quite an embarrassing marketing scheme. I think the same thing for the church because. Russell M. Nelson has not liked the term Mormon. We know this since at least 1990 when he spoke in general Mm -hmm. conference twice a year. uh, The Mormon leaders speak to their membership in Salt Lake City. And at general conference, very official, he said, you shouldn't use the word Mormon anymore. Well, six months later, the first counselor of the first presidency, Gordon B. Hinckley, who later became the 15th president, came in and said he had a whole talk on why it's actually a good thing. And he says, Mormon means more good. Why wouldn't we use it? And they've used this term with their choir, the Mormon Tabernacle Choir. They even had a campaign a few years ago called I Am a Mormon. Uh, so, so in 2018, when he gets this revelation at night, he gets these at night, he says he wakes up and, and he feels God's talking to him. And he was told he cannot allow that name to be used anymore. Well, I mean, that's how people know know the people who are members of this church. And so, yeah, it's a little controversial, perhaps, but I'm not really trying to appeal to the true blue Mormon. I'm trying to appeal to those who might have some questions, who would like to know what Christianity has to say, what, what we officially teach, according to what the Bible says. And especially for those who have left the church, I want to be able to uh, uh, have this be available for them. That's great. Well, so you mentioned this earlier. You've written a ton of different books on Mormonism, great books, Mormonism 101. I love that book. I love uh, the book that you did uh, with Sean McDowell, Sharing the Good News with Mormons that you and he edited. Great practical tools on how to to evangelize Mormons. So tell us a little bit about the idea for your newest book and why you think there there needs to be another book that's written to this religion and helping Christians be equipped to talk with their Mormon friends. Yeah, I mean there are a lot of books out there, and there are good Christian books on how to witness or or just a variety of different topics. I came up with the idea in COVID. I had just gone through COVID in July of 2020. And right after I was finishing that up, my daughter came in and asked me for a book that she could give to her friend who had left the church but didn't know what Christianity taught. And instead of having my 
daughter try to explain it all. She says, is there a book I could just give her? Because she's willing to read a book. So I looked mm. in my bookcase and there are good books out there. I mean, The Case for Christ, I hand Lee Strobel's book out all the time. I think it's very well done. Uh, uh, um, J. Warner Wallace, Cold Case Christianity, a good book as well. But I went through and I thought, you know, none of these books would hit it on the target because they're not writing specifically for an audience that has a LDS worldview, people who think like a Latter-day Saint, who translate the words that we use like atonement and grace and salvation. Those are words that are translated differently in the minds of Latter-day Saints. And I told my daughter, this is my youngest daughter, Hannah. I said, I think this is a book that needs to be written. And I was mowing the grass later that day, and I thought, you know what? I think I need to write that, especially since it's COVID. We're not able to go out and do evangelism. We're not able to go speak in churches. And so over the next four to five months, I actually wrote the entire book, uh, just uh, dug in. And uh, I had that time because we weren't having to do the normal travel we do in the fall. And uh, that's how that came about. So I'm hoping that this is a book primarily for Christians. I I think the church, Robbie, hasn't always taught the the church members what is Christianity enough so that they would be able to explain that in a way a Latter-day Saint would be able to understand. So I've written it mm-hmm. primarily for Christians as a as a maybe a primer or maybe it's a, um, a, a you know, a refreshing course, a refresher course to be able to uh, remind ourselves what those essential issues are in Christianity and how I can explain that specifically to a Latter-day Saint. And secondarily, I'm hoping that this is a book that Christians will find valuable enough that they can hand to their LDS friend or neighbor and say, if you're curious about what we believe, and this, Robbie, does a great job of, I think, getting rid of the straw men arguments, because so many people misunderstand when I say Trinity or I say salvation by grace, even if I say God or Jesus, a lot of Latter-day Saints have preconceived notions as to what we believe, and I find they're often false. One of the things I like to do Mm. is ask Latter-day Saints, what do you think I believe about who God is or what I believe salvation by grace is all about? I find the answers are usually very closely related, and I I think, well, where did they get that from? Just uh, (laughs) uh, misconceptions that they would have. So I, I want this book to be a book that will help set the record straight, because I think Christianity has a strong case. It just needs to be presented well. Yeah, that's that's awesome. I totally agree. And I think I, I try to steal or how will I say this in a Christianese way. I try to glean as much wisdom from you and take your best ideas and use them for myself. Um, well, one of the things I think you did tell me that and, and in, when I'm evangelizing to my Mormon friends or when, when elders come to my door or actually I go in order, I invite them because you can go on, on their website and invite them over. Mm-hmm. So I do that quite often. And um, that's one of the questions I ask them near the end of the conversation. What questions have you always wanted to ask a Christian? What clarification would you like? And they bring up Trinity all the time. Yeah. And I I always say, oh, I don't believe in that either. Like, that's not what I think. Let me explain to you. So that is a really practical uh, way to to uh, evangelize with them. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, let's, let's talk about this. So over the past decade, maybe even more than a decade, there are many uh, former members of the LDS church who are leaving their faith. Why are, I mean, you're in the thick of it up in Salt Lake. Why are so many people leaving 
Mormonism, and then where do they go? You're leaving something and you're going to something. Where are they? Why are they leaving and what are they leaving to? There have been different surveys taken over the past 10 years. One I'm going to refer to is John DeLynn in Mormon Stories. He did a survey in 2012. Most of the main reasons why people said they were leaving, and they could check as many boxes as they want. So number one was like 78% and then went down from there. Uh, was basically theology and, and history. And now that's interesting because uh, a lot of things were on the internet, but the church had not admitted to. But then the church did in 2013 through 2015, the church came out with a series of essays that are still on their website today. These were 13 essays uh, called the Gospel Topics Essays. They were maybe if you printed them out, three or four pages each with footnotes. And basically explaining some of the more controversial teachings uh, that they had over time. Uh, they had three of the 13 were on polygamy, for instance. And in that, they acknowledged that Joseph Smith had between 30 and uh, 30 to 40 wives, a third of whom were teenagers as young as 14, and another third were married to living husbands. A lot of Latter-day Saints didn't know that Joseph Smith was polygamous. They knew Brigham Young was, but they didn't know necessarily that Joseph Smith was. They also, and the, more, yeah. the, the LDS Church is admitting this in these essays. They're it, just, it def- it's on their website to this day. This is you, our history. And you can go to MRM.org and just type in Gospel Topics Essays, and you can see our reviews of those different essays. But yeah, three of them are on polygamy, and that, wow. In one of the essays, they admit to that. Another essay admits, that, or admits, I mean, it's just truth. It's historical fact that he used a magic seer stone, put it in a hat, and then he would read out of that hat, the light would come on, and he would be able to have it read so that it could be written down by his, his scribe. Well, uh, a lot of Latter-day Saints assume that Joseph Smith had these gold plates that he actually used his finger to read. Well, the gold plates were covered up. The church admits to that now in the Gospel Topics essays. That was brand new news for, I'm going to say most. I, I can't prove that, but most Mormons did not know that. Or the idea that the book of Abraham found in the Pearl of Great Price. In Mormonism, they have four scriptures. Besides the King James Version of the Bible, they have the Book of Mormon, Doctrine and Covenants, and Pearl of Great Price. Well, in the Pearl of Great Price, they have this book called the Book of Abraham that Joseph Smith supposedly translated from Egyptian papyrus that he had purchased in 1835 in uh, Ohio. Uh, Well, the thing is that papyrus gets lost and uh, we don't have any information as to really what that was except for some pictures and things like that. But then in 1966, a University of Utah professor was at the Metropolitan Museum in New York in the basement and he found this papyrus. Everybody thought it had been burned in the Great Chicago Fire. So it's like, okay, what do I do with this? He he contacts the BYU, the, the LDS church, and he says, this is in this uh, library. So they ended up making a deal with the Metropolitan and took possession of it again. Well, what we determined and what we found, it was common funeral papyri. It had nothing to do with Abraham. In fact, it wasn't anywhere close to as old as Abraham would have been. It's only a couple thousand year old papyrus. And yet supposedly Joseph Smith had used this to translate, kind of retranslate some of the Pentateuch. Uh, and, and make gods out of the singular God. And, and, and so you basically have nothing to support the book of Abraham. They admitted then that the book of Abraham is a spiritual translation. Robbie, anytime anybody says they can give you a spiritual translation of anything, say, I'm not going to buy that because you can make up anything <laughs> you want. Even the book of Moses, which is found in the canon in the Pearl of Great Price, 
the book of Moses has no manuscripts at all. He just translated really? that out of his out of his head, and and well, they use he, those books today. Is it? It's interesting when you say that he just translated out of his head. Aren't they admitting he did the very same thing with the Book of Mormon and with? Uh, the book of Abraham, because the papyri doesn't say what he translated it to say. And you don't need the golden plates for the Book of Mormon because you have the seer stone in a hat. So th th he didn't need these uh, plates or papyri. He just he's making it up. Yeah. He's Yeah. Why did he go to all the effort of claiming the plates and carrying them for three miles in his arm? And, and that would have yeah. weighed too much. I mean, the size uh, six by eight by six, it's a six of a cubit foot. If it's made of gold. Uh, gold is 1,200 pounds per cubic foot. That would be 200 pounds. There's no way anybody could carry something like that for three to four miles. So, uh, yeah, th yeah, this was problematic for many Latter-day Saints. So that is that uh, we saw a huge departure back in 2015, 16, 17. In fact, in chapter 10 of my book, I, I describe a real life encounter. Every chapter has some kind of evangelism encounter, but uh, with a couple that were in their 80s. 80 years old, oh. and they had discovered that Joseph Smith was not a true prophet. They came into the Utah Lighthouse bookstore, and they basically said, what do we do now? We don't believe Joseph Smith anymore based on these gospel topics essays. It was huge. I don't think the church thought it would be more than collateral damage, but it caused a major fervor. But I'm going to say this. In the last uh, ten, five, seven years, I think uh, society has pretty much— um, uh, had a huge impact on many Latter-day Saints. And so this book here, 2019, called The Next Mormons, came out with Jana Reese. It's published by Oxford. Uh, so this is a scholarly book. Uh, she, did, she had a number of surveys. And so you would ask the question, why are people leaving? It wasn't so much in her survey that it was because of history or theology. I, the first item of history or theology doesn't come until number nine. Number nine, it was the Whoa. Book of Mormon and the Book of Abraham. That was number nine. But the, the numbers before that were things like, I don't believe that the prophet is true and the general authorities are true. I don't like how the church has dealt with feminist issues. I don't like the LGBTQ issue that the church is still saying that homosexuality is wrong. I, I, was, I was manning the bookstore just a few weeks ago, Robbie. And uh, and so people come in to buy these materials from Gerald and Sandra Tanner. They're great people. Um, he's passed away, but uh, she's still going on, even though she's retiring next year. And three different couples came in the first hour. All of them had just left. And uh, and so the problem is uh, none of them are very interested in joining uh, Christianity because religion had burned them. But one lady mm -hmm. told me I asked her why she left. And she said the LGBTQ. And, uh, and so that's kind of a harder issue. I almost would rather they leave because of doctrine or history than they would because of these progressive issues, because what do I have to offer her? Because I'm going to have yeah. you left because of that. Oh, you know, well, I'd, I'd encourage you to read the Bible. And by the way, she did. I, I gave her a Bible and she said she would read it. And she bought uh, I Don't Have Enough Faith to Be an Atheist by uh, Frank oh, Kirk and Norm Geisler. She wanted to read that book for herself because she says, I got to give God a chance. But the same book had the survey about where did they go? And I talk about this in the introduction. Uh, Robbie, they're not coming to Christianity. In fact, 50%, or 45% actually, almost half, 45% are going to atheism, agnosticism, or nothing at all.
They have nothing. And I find that to be true. Sitting in this bookstore, people come into the bookstore because they want information to diss on Mormonism and show their friends that it's a lie, but they have no desire to to run to Christianity. So 45%, another 21%, according to Reese, are uh, saying that they're just Christian. Well, they're just Christian because of moralism. Well, I'm a good person. I, I don't murder anyone. They're not going to any religion. They're just, just Christian. That's two out of three who have nothing after Mormonism. Only one third wow. have some kind of religion. Includes Catholicism, liberal Protestant, uh, Islam, Buddhism, different religions that people will go to. But so out of the total, only 10% come to evangelical Christianity, according to oh, Janet That's Reed. so sad. I think it is so sad. And that's why I wrote this book, because I don't want people to reject Christianity based on false stereotypes and straw men arguments. I want them to reject it because it's not true. But have yeah. they read the Bible? Have they considered where it came from and how much how much uh, evidence we have for for uh, the arche- with the archaeology and manuscripts and all the rest? There's so much available there. Have they considered that? Have they read the Bible for themselves? No, they haven't. And then I ask them the questions that you're saying. Well, what do you you know what do you uh, think? I believe what what would you like to ask an evangelical Christian? They don't yeah. they don't even have any questions for you because they're not thinking. They're just so overwhelmed with hatred toward the church and therefore hatred toward anything that has to do with religion. And so I'll oftentimes say, well, didn't you once believe in God? And they'll say, yes. I said, didn't you once believe that Jesus was your savior? Yes. Then I ask, what did they do to you? And they think Mm -hmm. about it and they go, well, religion did it to me. I said, well, religion is man. That's man doing that to you. And yes, you were burned. But if you read the Bible, it says that we're supposed to test everything. First Thessalonians 5.21, Matthew 7, Jesus says that we're supposed to be aware of false prophets who are in sheep's clothing, wolves in sheep's clothing. And then 1 John 4.1, test the spirits to see if they are from God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. So the, the advice was there. They didn't take it. They prayed about it, whether they were born in it or they were a convert, and they became a Latter-day Saint. Well, it's unfortunate that you were burned, but just because you were burned doesn't mean that there's not a God and there's not a Jesus who died on the cross for sins. Yeah, man, that is, that's powerful and sad. And man, I'm so, I'm so glad you wrote this book because, yeah, addressing that very issue, there, a lot are leaving, but that's not a victory. Because they're leaving to to right. other false ideologies and false worldviews, I, I I think about this when because uh, I I took you know I took a group of students up to Salt Lake this summer and we did a, a Mormonism mission trip after we trained using your book uh, Mormonism One Hundred One to teach the kids you know everything about Mormonism well a lot about Mormonism and um one thing that I I like to point out to the students when we go up there is there it, it Salt Lake City is a really weird place because um there's really two types of people groups there and they're on the extreme you can see mormons everywhere right you can see the suits you can see the, the clean cut and then there's like the exact opposite you know rainbow flags in certain neighborhoods everywhere just out and audacious and um homosexuality rampant especially like in coffee shops right like you it, it's this weird there's these people and these people and a lot of a lot of these these super you know LGBTQ friendly atheist leaning people used to be 
in the Mormon church. And I, I love asking them about it. I like asking the barista, I say, hey, uh, uh, are you Mormon? And they, they laugh, no, come on, I'm not working at a coffee shop. No, of course not. Yeah. And then, uh, oh, well, did you used to be? Yeah, my family, you know, I grew up in, okay, why'd you leave? But it is such an interesting city um, to see just, they're really, I mean, I know there's more people there than that, but it's a, it's an obvious two different people groups and like a struggle between them. There's almost this, I don't know, every time I go there, it's a very odd thing to experience. Well, and less than half of people who live in Salt Lake City are LDS, which is less than about a 60% rate if you ta- take the entire state. When we have places in Utah, 80% LDS, so under 50%. Uh-huh. And I understand we have a very high homosexual population, as you just said. I understand our gay pride parade is second largest on this side of the Mississippi, except for San Francisco. And I know they have large ones in L.A. and San Diego and other places, if that's true. And I, I, I can't document that for a fact. But we're talking tens of thousands of people are flooding the streets during that Sunday when they do that. And it's very disconcerting, I'm sure, for the Latter-day Saints as well, because they don't have homosexual marriage in the temple. Marriage is for time and eternity for a male and a female to produce children. Well, people in that kind of relationship uh, are not able to produce children. So this religion has nothing for them. Yeah, yeah, man. Interesting stuff. Well, hey, let's get talking a little bit about what's in the book. Um, So the first couple of chapters of the book, you spend a lot of time talking about the Bible as special revelation and how the New Testament is trustworthy and reliable. So with a book that's only 10 chapters long, why did you spend so much real estate, two whole chapters, right, talking about the Bible and the historicity of it? Why is that important to establish with uh, the LDS uh uh, people. Well, and, and you know, Article Eight that was put together by Joseph Smith. There's thirteen articles of faith. It's found in their scripture, the Pearl of Great Price. It says the Bible is true as far as it is translated correctly. And mm-hmm. uh, well, so that there's your first strike against the Bible because people who are thinking about leaving or who have left. They already don't have a lot of confidence in the Bible. They like to go to Bart Ehrman. And in fact, they like to ask you about contradictions in the Bible. Oh, the Bible's full of contradictions. So they don't really have a good idea of how our Bible came to be. They say, as far as it is translated correctly, they don't really mean translated the way that we take from one language to another, but rather they mean transmitted the way that we got to the text we have today. And they have this idea somehow that corrupt scribes, uh, Catholics, others changed things, took things out. And so we can't fully de- depend on that. I wrote two chapters out of a 10 chapter book on the Bible. And the reason why was because um, I was trying to keep it to one chapter and I just couldn't fit it all in because I wanted to <laughs> deal with Bible contradictions. I wanted to deal with uh, the, uh, uh, the telephone game that is often used by Latter-day Saints. Well, you know, you got this one person who whispers to another person and in the end it all gets convoluted. Well, I show in the book, that's not a good example to show how textual criticism is is what it's all about. How we we get our Bible, we have 24,000 New Testament manuscripts uh, that are in other languages and 5,000 are in Greek, the Koine Greek that Mm -hmm. is original. We have whole New Testaments that are just very impressive uh, uh, that we have we have pieces going back to the early second century during the time of the apostles of the apostles. Uh, mm-hmm. and, and we find how accurate it is. We have lots of families of texts and we can show and, and there have been a number of people who have done that uh, to help us understand there are variants. 
There's no doubt about that. But when we take a look at the whole thing, we can see these variants normally don't really have a whole lot of change to what the Bible actually says. It says Christ Jesus in this one. This one, it says Jesus Christ, or it might add a word or take away a word. And we can kind of figure out if there could have been some slips or issues like that. I believe the, the as even the LDS, uh, an LDS um, historian uh, at BYU said that the uh, New Testament is 99 and 7 100s or 77 100s uh, pure. It, it's it's wow. reliable. Uh, and, and so I, I would go with that, you know, that it is for the most part. As far as the Old Testament, we have the Dead Sea Scrolls. The Dead Sea Scrolls uh, help us to see that the Old Testament we have is very accurate because before then, mm-hmm. it was a thousand years after. Uh, that uh, we had manuscripts written in uh, the Hebrew. And so here we have uh, dated even at 125, we have the great scroll of Isaiah. Two scrolls of Isaiah were found in cave one of the 11 caves in the Dead Sea uh, between 1947 and 1955. And this this great scroll of Isaiah has a few variants because they had some changes in the... uh, in in the Masoretic text, so there were some uh, there were some accent differences, and they they did have a few differences, but overall it said exactly what our chapters in Isaiah do say, and that's pretty yeah. impressive because we have Isaiah fifty three again written one twenty five BC, and 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 yet Isaiah fifty three is exactly the same, predicting the Messiah as the New Testament points out. How could you have done that even one hundred and twenty five years before Christ? I mean, try to figure out what's going to go out next year, let alone 125 <laughs> years. We can't sure. do that. There's no way we would come close. Although we have no. to say George Orwell may have done a pretty good job of that. But, but I mean, yeah, 1984. Yeah, that's true. I, but other, you know, for, as far as trying to make predictions, it's just, uh, it's too difficult. And so that's why there's I there's nothing put, else I put a like lot. scripture. Yeah. yeah. I, I just, I, I wanted to, well, that's, and that's, this. they go ahead. Well, and they need you're you're absolutely right. They need to hear that because they've been told this as far as it's translated correctly. But and isn't another saying that many plain and precious portions have been lost? Many, many plain but and I, precious. Whenever plain. I ask, yeah. yeah, yeah, whenever I ask my my Mormon friends, I say, "Can you show me where?" Yeah. They're like, oh, "I don't know which ones." And they, it's funny because they they quote the Bible. Yeah, they believe verses are true, and I say, "How do you know that this isn't a part that got changed?" They've never, it's like they never thought of that. So they accept it, but they don't accept it. It's like they, they deprecate it. They, they lower it underneath everything Joseph Smith wrote. Uh, Very interesting. You're bringing out a good point. I think you asked that question. Uh, so can you show me one contradiction? Can you show me one plain or precious truth? They usually don't have one for you. Or they'll come up with one. No. And it's like, really? Then I'll, but if they do come up with one, I like to say, if I can answer this, is this your best one? If I can answer this in a way that makes sense. <laughs> Would you then say the Bible is accurate? They always say no. So I'm not going to. It's like Jesus saying, well, neither will I tell you. You know, I mean, I'm not yeah. going to play this game and, and throw pearls before swine. If they just want to play uh, the, these games, uh, you know, tennis and back and forth. I'm not I'm not here to play a game. This is too serious for me. And if you don't want to accept the Bible, that's your prerogative. But if the Bible is true, then I think it it behooves us to follow what it teaches us about who God is, about how we're supposed yes. to believe. It has the manual. It's God's special revelation, as you pointed out, my chapter one title. So, yeah, and I include a, a, um, I include a lot of pictures from archaeology. I love archaeology. I, um, I, I go to Israel every year, at least once or twice. I take people with me. 
uh, uh, I've taken over 500 people to Israel since 2009. And uh, I take them to places that are real places and real people who live there and even real events. I take them to Lachish, for instance. There's a ramp that the Assyrians built 2,700 years ago before they made their way over to Jerusalem. It was the last city that they destroyed. The ramp is still there. Arrowheads are still being found today. Ballista balls from the Assyrians. I mean, incredible information. So I'm not saying that it's, I, I don't believe in rationalism. I don't believe that we can determine truth merely uh, by by our minds. I think we have to translate it to our heart. I think faith is required. But this is what is uh, what is called inference to the best explanation. I take the evidence mm-hmm. that's there and I say it sure looks like the people and places of the Bible are real people. We we've, we've documented over 80 people in the Bible that are shown to be archaeologically true and the places and and the people and the events. I mean, uh, I can't prove the resurrection. I have to have faith in that, but when you take a look at all of these different things together, I think it makes much more sense to accept what the Bible teaches as truth rather than the Book of Mormon. The Book of Mormon, yeah. we don't even know where it's found. Is it North North America where this took place or Central America? The scholars are all saying Central America, but uh, Glenn Beck is saying, and others are saying, no, here on North America. Uh, you know, And, and the mm-hmm. church has not come out with an f- official position. I have an official position for the Bible. Most of the events found <laughs> in the New Testament are found in, uh, in Israel, Turkey, you know, um, some in Jordan. I mean, we know where yeah. these places are and we have, have identified them. Yeah, well, I think that's an important distinction. So one of the things that when I talk with a, a Mormon, you know, they say, well, we're Christians, too. Right. And then I say, well, am I a Mormon, too, then? Well, no, that's different. OK, um, so that I get to the point of, listen, we, we have a lot of similarities, but the similarities don't matter. The differences matter. Differences are what matters when it comes to these types of these types of issues. And one of the biggest differences, I think, between uh, us and, and the LDS church is how we define faith. You and I think evidence is really important because faith is trusting in something that you have good reason to trust in. Mm-hmm. That's that's what that's what faith is. They don't believe that that's what faith is. When when it comes to the the LDS view of faith, they have a very different idea of this. And on page ninety two in your book, um, you say this about what is called the Mormon testimony. So let me quote you here: "Quote the Latter Day Saint needs to be told that repeating the mantra." I know the church is true and Joseph Smith is a true prophet of God in a self-convincing way will no longer suffice as the evidence goes against these things. So their idea of faith is I've trusted this and I have a a feeling about it, right? And even if there is evidence brought against me, Eric, and you and your book and you have all these facts about the Bible, even in spite of that, I am going to trust this feeling. Why do you think that that is so dangerous and we need to help them um, move away from that type of ideology? The Bible says in the Old Testament, the heart is deceptively wicked. Who can understand it? And when we understand that based on my own feelings, I can fool myself. I mean, I I might take a test in school when I was a student and thought I aced that test, but in reality, I got a D. And I think, wait a minute, I felt good about that test. Or you might feel you're in love. <laughs> well, then you realize the other- or like a girl likes you. Yeah. 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 So, so you love this girl, but she doesn't love you back. That's not love. That's infatuation. 
I, I mean, yeah. your feelings are not trustworthy. Never trust your feelings. Uh, the old Bill Bright uh, Four Spiritual Laws. Remember the train? You had the engine, and you had the um, you had the um, car, and then you had the caboose. And the caboose was your feelings. But facts and and faith were more important than that. And I think that's true here. I mean, when the the problem is. If all the evidence, the inference to the best explanation I'm talking about, if all the evidence shows that Joseph Smith was not who he said he was, it shows that the Book of Mormon is not the book they claim it is. Uh, if, if, if they can, if all the evidence is showing that there's holes here, and yet you don't find holes like that with when you when you research the Bible, that's problematic. And so that's what I want Latter Day Saints to do. I don't want them just to have this feeling. I don't think Christians should either. Uh, a lot of Christians might have. Uh, it's fideism. Instead of rationalism, it's the exact opposite. Fideism is the idea yeah. that you put all all your eggs in the basket of faith, even when the facts disagree with you. Well, that's a dangerous position. How is that a real test the spirits to see if they are from God? Paul commends the Bereans in Acts 17 when they searched the scriptures to see what was true, and they were more noble than the Thessalonians. I, I mean, mm-hmm. the Bible over and over again wants us to use our mind. And we do that every day when we cross the street. Don't we look both ways? We should. And if you don't, then you're eventually going to get run over. And I think that is what's going to happen. And and you mentioned, Robbie, about the idea of somebody coming up and saying, well, we're Christians, too. I get that a lot. And especially with the title I have here, I'm sure I'll get more of it. Uh, Here's how I handle that one. When they say, well, we're Christians, too. I said, oh, okay." so then, you know, you have a forgiveness of your sins. I use this with a couple of missionaries in San Diego last week. I was in San Diego doing some different things. And we stopped by the San Diego Temple and they don't have a visitor center, but they had some missionaries, two sister missionaries. They were very nice. We had a great conversation for 45 minutes. And I I use that as, uh, you know, the idea of. Do you know that you have eternal life? First John 5, 13 says we can know this. And I cited that for mm-hmm. her. We may know we have eternal life. She says, oh, everybody has eternal life. Well, you have to understand the difference in terminology. In the back of the book here, I do put an appendix that I try to distinguish between the LDS uh, position versus what Christianity uh, would use as the definition. And so, uh, so she said, well, you know, we all have eternal life. I said, no, in your religion, not everybody gets eternal life. Or am I going to the celestial kingdom if I were to die right now? She said, no, you wouldn't because you haven't been baptized in our church. I said, okay. So I have immortality, and that's what the church teaches. Because I accepted the plan that Jesus offered in the preexistence, a previous state we all lived in, and we had to choose between Lucifer and Jesus. And we all chose Jesus, and the reason we know that is we have bodies of flesh and bone. So we came to this earth, second estate, and our goal is hopefully to become gods and goddesses in the next life that we will be with our family forever. So so uh, that is immortality. I get to go to one, either the celestial, but for me, I'll go probably the terrestrial kingdom or the celestial, three kingdoms of glory. That's immortality. That is what the Latter-day Saint means when they say the atonement of Christ saves us or we're saved by grace. Well, he's talking mm-hmm. about immortality. We all get that because we're born. But there's a second term. Because we're humans already, yeah. Because yes. we're here in bodies, yeah. But the but the second type of salvation is known as individual salvation or exaltation or eternal life and mm-hmm. our celestial glory. Those are all terms to describe the same thing. The way that you end up becoming a uh, um, 
a, a saved individual in the full sense of the term is that you keep the commandments. Ask a Latter-day Saint, how many must you keep? And they're going to answer all of them. How often? Yeah. All the time. I always like to ask the question, how are you doing at that? I, I tell you what, Greg Kokel's book, you're working with a great organization. His book, Tactics, ought to be read by everybody who is going to do evangelism to the people in the cults. I, it's just that good. Yeah. The Colombo tactic. I use that in my book, you know, in, in the section yep. on the resurrection. I had been doing that even before he wrote Tactics. I've been doing that for 20, 25 years. I've been using that tactic. Just asking questions is so important. Yes, and, and, uh, it is. And, and so find, letting them do the, the hard work and just sitting back and just letting them describe what they had. She had to finally admit that if I were to die right now, that I would not get the celestial kingdom. But then she left hope that after I die, I'll have my work done for me. And I told her I would because I have family on my wife's side, LDS family, who say that they have adopted our family. They will do all the temple work a year after we're dead. We'll, they'll do it for us. So. I, and, wow. I, and my question, so you're covered. I'm covered and I can drink true. coffee. Yeah. We can go to that coffee shop, Robbie. I'm going to have a year in. in, in uh... I don't know what you're talking about. I don't even like coffee. <laughs> Just kidding. <laughs> Spirit prison is, is, is a place where we'll be, but then we're going to have missionaries mm-hmm. come. And, and it's like, okay, uh, you work so hard. And yet, when are you ever going to attain the status of knowing that your sins are forgiven? But Christianity is not asking the question, Mormonism, Islam. All the other religions are asking, what do we do for God? That's the question they ask. But Christianity asks the question, what did God do for me? It's not based on yeah. what I do. It, the onus is not on my back, but rather it was on the back of Jesus who imputed his righteousness into my account, not based on anything I did or would do, but based on what he did. That's the only way. Romans chapter 5, justification by faith. Joseph Smith, yeah. in his translation, added the word alone, justification, justification by faith alone. He, uh, Galatians wow. chapter 2, uh, verses uh, oh, 17 through 21, uh, very clearly, it's by faith that we have, it's not by the works. And so that's unfortunate yeah. because many Latter-day Saints are great people. And I want everybody to understand, I don't hate Mormons. I would not have moved to Utah so that I could persecute Mormons. No, rather, I love no. them so much. I want them to be able to have this relationship that's available. And they're so religious. They're so righteous. They're trying their best. But they they always know that they're not doing enough. And when I ask that question, yeah. when are you going to start? They say, well, I'll start right now. When are you going to end? Well, that one I don't know. And, and, <laughs> yeah, because they're not supposed to lie. So they're not going to lie and tell you that they're doing perfect. That's right. Um, I think that's a great tactic, though, because what you're doing is so and this is this is something that, that people have to understand. And we're going to have you on a, another episode and talk about differences between Christianity and Mormonism. But with understanding Christian theology so well and then understanding Mormon theology and the huge differences between them, even though they use the same term, uh, use the same terminology, you can ask a poignant question when they say, say, well, I'm a Christian too, right? You can ask a poignant question that makes them go, oh no, I'm not a Christian like that. Like that's what I do. I ask them stuff about, oh, so you believe Jesus is the eternal God of the universe Mm -hmm. and that there is salvation no way, not through works. You know, I just add all this stuff that's Christian theology that I know they disagree with. And they'll say, 
No, no, no. I don't think that. Oh, so we're different. That's okay. We can be different, but it's not the same thing. I love that tactic. Yeah, you, and I like it too. I, I really do because. And you brought out the point. Well, when they say, uh, you know, I'm a I'm a Christian, and you reply back, I'm a Mormon, and that kind of throws them for a second. Well, what do you mean? Or I'm a Latter Day Saint if you want to be politically correct since 2018. And they go, sure. No, I, I I don't think Joseph Smith was a true prophet. I don't think Russell M. Nelson is a prophet that we have today. I don't believe the Book of Mormon. Is is true. I believe it's a great story, but it's fictional. And you go through the list and they go, well, that's everything that defines what a Latter-day Saint would be. And you say, oh, okay. So words have meaning. And the word Christian historically has meant a person who has put all of his eggs in one basket. He accepts Jesus as his Lord and Savior. He believes that he has eternal life based on what was done for him and not based on what he does. Oh, okay. See, this is confusing, you can say, by trying to say you're a Christian just as much as it's confusing for me to say I'm a Latter-day Saint. And I'm not a Latter-day Saint, you can say, but I'm just trying to make the point that we have differences. See, here's the thing. Mormonism denies or distorts every fundamental teaching of the historic Christian church from top to bottom. Who is God? What is scripture? How does a person get salvation? Even to the minor points, when should we get baptized? They say at eight years old, before eight, uh, you're considered to be uh, innocent. Day seven or uh, year seven, day 364, if you died right then, you go straight to the celestial kingdom. The next day, now you're a sinner. So so all the way down the line, Joseph Smith corrupted what the Bible says is true. And so that's why we need to be aware of that. So we can explain these things to our Latter-day Saint friends and neighbors. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's so great. So if uh, someone has an LDS relative or a friend, um, a quick story. We actually, there's this lady uh, from our church who was neighbors with an LDS member because, you know, I live in Arizona. And so there's a lot of Mormons in Arizona as well. And um, she she was questioning things and just felt like, no, Mormonism, it doesn't make logical sense. There's theological issues. But she's married to a Mormon. His whole family is LDS. Um, So she... uh, my my friend, uh, she invited her Mormon neighbor to start coming to church, and she did. And then she's like, hey, Robbie, he uh, this guy knows some stuff about Mormons. You should talk to him. So we'd talk a little bit. And then I sent her your info. So she's been scouring your website like crazy and getting books and stuff. Anyway, so she comes to believe in the real Jesus oh. um, not too long ago. Uh, and she is just like a bulldog for truth. She's awesome. Uh, so she's bringing her kids to church now, and her husband is is kind of nominal anyway. Um, but she actually got baptized, real baptized, uh, at our last baptism service. Wow. And it was just really cool to watch. You you know, you, you do this ministry all the time, but it's so cool to see that come full circle where they're questioning, people love them, then you introduce them to the truth, they look at it and they realize, yes, this is what I've been searching for, um, and then follow after Jesus. But so if somebody is in the position like my friend has been in, where they have a, a relative or a neighbor who's LDS, how is it possible to share their Christian faith when they're trying? not to cause issues, right? Because that's one thing that keeps people out of the game is I don't want to, I want to be a good witness. I don't want to just offend people unnecessarily. What are some practical tips you could give us on that? That's a hard one when you're talking about family. And my wife has part of her family in the church. And whenever we get together for reunions, it's sometimes like walking on eggshells, you know, and I'm not trying Mm -hmm. to 
create more problems. We have enough. Uh, you don't talk about politics and religion at the Thanksgiving supper, right? I mean, that's that's the common <laughs> sure. rule. And, and so it, it can be difficult. I, I would just say you're going to have to look for those uh, opportunities. Sometimes they get served up and you can't believe that that was just given to you that you you, you can ask. Again, ask questions. I, I think asking questions, as as Greg talks about in his book, it, no, everybody likes to talk about themselves. So tell yeah. me a little bit about your faith experience. You know, so maybe they were born in the church. You know, tell me, I just want to understand why do you feel your church is true? I mean, you're bringing up a tough topic, but that gives them the opportunity to present their case. Now, I find a lot of times people will just not want to talk about it at all. Then you're, you know, you want to acknowledge that. And you don't want to cause any problems, sure. but they'll say, well, you know, I think it's the true church and okay. Just just keep asking those questions, that Columbo tactic. Just keep coming back. Keep using that until they ask you a question. Now they're putting it in mm-hmm. your park. So why do you think your, you know, your faith is true? Oh, OK. Well, let me tell you about my relationship with Jesus. You should be able to, Robbie, and you know what I'm talking about. In two minutes, you should be able to present a quick presentation of the gospel that yes. all people are sinners. Romans 3.23 says that. All have sinned. Uh, Romans 6.23, the wages of sin is death. Uh, I, I, I appreciate, though, there's a comma after that. The wages of sin is death, comma, but the gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. Yes. And it's not because of anything I've done, but it's based on what Jesus did, that he died on the cross for my sins and through faith that he has provided me to have, that I'm able to know that I have eternal life, that uh, life is not always perfect. I go through hard times just like everybody else, but I I believe that uh, Jesus is there with me and that he's God and that I can uh, have this personal relationship with him. Something of that nature. Mm -hmm. That's kind of how I would do it. And and then they say, well, I think I have that too. I say, oh, okay. You know, and then you can go from there. You say, oh, then you start asking the questions again. Oh, so you think that if you were to die right now, you get you get to the very best your religion has to offer. Well, I'm trying. Yeah. <laughs> I'm doing my best. I'm trying really hard. Yeah. yeah. And then now, now you can say, well, isn't trying an admission of failure that you're not doing what you're supposed to do? And see, yeah. in First Nephi three seven, it says that God doesn't give commandments that can't be kept. If that's true, and Spencer W. Kimball in his book The Miracle of Forgiveness very clearly taught, you ought to do this. Uh, if you don't do it wow. in this lifetime, you're in a lot of trouble. Well. There you go. And so that, that that's kind of how I uh, go about it. But I'm not I'm not purposely going out of my way to try to within a family cause the, the stirring. But pray, pray, yeah. pray about God opening doors. And I believe if you have great faith, um, it might not happen right away, but you'll see little things happen, little chinks in the armor, little openings in the door that happen with your friend. And unfortunately, yeah. You know, maybe he stayed in the church, and that's a real difficult situation. I have two friends who left the church, uh, and both of them were advised by the bishop, who's like a pastor, their pastor, two different congregations here in Utah, not far from me, either one. And both of them advised the woman to divorce him because he was not worthy to take her to the celestial kingdom. My one friend got so upset, he went to the bishop's house, knocked on his door and told him in no uncertain terms, you do not talk to my wife about my marriage ever again. It's none of your business. Wow. Uh, he had left and become a Christian and my other friend, both males. And so the women, uh, you know, well, what do we do? So they have this, uh, they have this advice of maybe getting a divorce. And so they bring that to their husbands. Can you imagine? 
a, fa- a, a no. religion that's supposed to be so pro-family is recommending that they get a divorce with kids. Doesn't make any sense, but that has happened a number of times, and and so yeah, it's a yeah. very sensitive issue. We want to be very careful. And the Bible says in First Corinthians, if your spouse is not with you on this, that unless that person leaves, you need to you need to stick it out, and yep. and do your best to to deal with that. It's difficult raising children in two different churches. It, it just is. It is, and yeah, and I I think too, like one of the things I try to encourage people with when they're uh, witnessing to, to Mormons is, you know, they, they really will lose something if they leave their faith. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, it's a high standard, like their family, like you said, marriage, uh, business connection. There's a lot that's possible for them to lose if they leave. So for us to say, look, logically, boom, 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 boom. Okay, that's great. But people need time to process. People need time to think through these types of issues. And uh, we're not we're not just the logic computers you can punch in. <laughs> There's a lot more going on. So yeah, praying for them, being there for them over the long term, all those types of things I think are really helpful when you're witnessing to your LDS friends. Well, hey, real quick before we get going, uh, I want people to get this book. Okay, so it's published by Harvest House. It is called, once again, Introducing Christianity to Mormons. Eric, where can people get this book at? You can get it at Amazon.com, BarnesandNoble.com, ChristianBooks.com. They all have different prices. There is a Kindle edition available as well. You can even go to MRM.org and and pick that up as well. So anywhere you want to get that. I encourage uh, Christians to pick this up, read it for themselves. If they feel this is worthy, maybe to ask their Latter-day Saint friend, would you like to learn a little more about what we believe? I also have a website that I mentioned earlier, and it has some more bells and whistles besides what I already have in the book, introducingchristianity.com. If they go to introducingchristianity.com, there's some uh, good thing, some good features there that would be helpful, I think. Awesome, Eric. Well, hey, this has been great having you on. Um, I'm really excited about how God's going to use this book to impact people's lives and help more and more Mormons come to know who Jesus is. So thank you so much for being on with us today. Again, the book is Introducing Christianity to Mormons. You need to go out and purchase this so that you can be ready to share your faith uh, with your Mormon friends. Uh, We've got a lot of uh, fun stuff coming up in the next episode as well that we're going to talk about, Eric, where we're we're going to get into more of the doctrine of the LDS faith versus uh, what Christianity teaches. And, and this is going to be something that I think a lot of people don't understand. So if you're out there and uh, you want to know more about the Mormon faith, please uh, join us on our next episode as we are going to be talking with Eric Johnson a little more about that. Again, go check out his website, mrm.org. It is great. You will find a plethora of of uh, articles and videos and extra things on there that'll help you be equipped to love your Mormon friends and family. Again, I'm Robbie Lashua today with Sandra Reason. Thank you so much for listening.